0: You're listening to Southeastern Flies: The Angler's Influence.
1: They have wood floors. They have wood walls that separate rooms inside interior walls. Um, but they're these big, giant canvas tents with, win- with like big plastic windows that you can pull open. They have big, cushy mattresses on beds. And they even put big, white, fluffy bathrobes in there. The shower in the luxury tents has eight shower heads. I don't know why that's a big deal, but... (laughs) Seems not,
0: like a big deal. I'm not
1: an eight showerhead person, but I guess it's a luxury <laughs> thing to have a bunch of different shower heads. So uh, it even has like a fancy shower in it. We've got four of those big tents. Each tent has one bedroom that has two bunk has uh, two twin beds. That's a bunk bed, and then the other room has a queen bed. And then I've reserved the the campsite that's closest to the tents that sits right on the edge of the river. That'll kind of be our gathering oh. place where everybody, you know, it'll be just more open space for us to gather. Because each tent has a little a little fire pit area in front of it but then there's a a big space that kind of connects one campsite and one of the tents and that'll kind of be our gathering spot we're having local restaurants do our food for lunches and for dinners and breakfast my goal with the with the retreat it's not necessarily just for beginners not necessarily for people who know everything to do um, an excuse to get women together to go fishing together but to help people understand how to read the water and fish this kind of setting.
0: So the Great Smoky Mountain National Park type water.
1: Yes small mountain streams you know you have to do a lot of roll casts sidearm casts you know understanding how to read the water understanding that you're not doing you know the big beautiful river runs through it cast that everybody wants to do there aren't many opportunities to do that in the mountains there's a few big long runs that you can do some big wide open casts but a lot of it is just short casts controlling the line line control is really key here to get a good drift and to set the hook makes a big difference so little things like that we're going to kind of do on stream workshop type stuff Uh in the mornings and then just go fishing so it's not guided it's not you know I'm not going to be guiding somebody one-on-one like I do when I'm out on a guide day I'm going to be with a whole group and we're going to kind of talk about what kind of cast to use and what you're looking for in the water we'll talk about it at camp camp is bigger water it's a little river it runs right through the middle of town it is stocked so it has some bigger fish in it Um, it also has smallmouth in it so we'll talk about some of that and then we'll go up into the mountain streams you know i'd love to and we'll kind of feel out the whole group as to what they want to do they're there but i would love to take them all up um like lynn camp prong where we can Mm -hmm. walk up a trail and spread out and everybody can kind of get into some of the native brook trout that we have here which is just beautiful they're our smallest fish but i think they're the they're the most gorgeous and i really think brook trout is great they're um, a little more aggressive (laughs) so (laughs) you know with a rainbow trout or a brown trout you you know they might hit your fly once and spook off. The brook trout don't seem to be quite as skittish. I think that's just their nature, even though they're wild, just like the rainbows and the browns are here. They're just a little more aggressive in grabbing the fly.
0: Little fish with a big attitude.
1: And it's just one of the most beautiful, you know, the brook trout water here, I always say it's like walking through waterfalls all day. It's like most yes, of the fishing is. here is, but especially when you're in Brook Trout area, it's just, it's like Never Never Land. It's right. just gorgeous. So I really want to help introduce people to that and just make it a, an experience and a fun, no pressure kind of situation where people can just go have fun.
0: So hey, everybody welcome in to uh southeastern fly the angler's influence and today we're talking to charity rudder of r&r fly fishing in townsend tennessee and we're here at the heritage center in townsend uh where they it's basically a, the history sort of a museum of appalachia we're in the auditorium lots of lights lots of lots of shows i understand go on here i've been it's been probably three years since i've been here maybe longer than that you can walk the grounds they have uh there's a, a a concert venue outside yeah. yeah for summer stuff uh but if you come to townsend uh hopefully you'll you'll take some of your time and go through come through the the museum here and and look at the life of appalachia as as it, it unfolded throughout history up until today and as we talked to charity today uh so it sounds like this this retreat that you're talking about it sounds like you're going to learn some stuff in the morning uh and then you're going to get to go quote unquote put it to use or play in the afternoon yeah and you're going to feed people really well, which is super important. Oh
1: yeah, that's we can control the food. We can't control the weather. We can't control the fishing, but we can make we, sure you get good food. For right.
0: Sure. So here on influence, we uh, talk about the people, place, things, or ideas uh, that shape your fly fishing. Not necessarily the businesses we're, that we're in. All those other those are important to us. As we talk through those those people, places, ideas, things that influence us, the one thing that we want to know is how does it influence you or how does something that that influence you what do you learn from that and and how do you carry that forward and as we talk to people i found that we can piece together all the way through their life right up from the time that they started fishing just regular fishing a lot of folks just start regular just like i did probably just like you did where you're just you know it may be a worm from a coffee can and that's okay the next thing you know somebody introduces you to fly fishing and then you just kind of take off so that's the way that these things have been going and we just it's it's usually just really really good conversation and we hope that everybody learns something uh we want to be able to teach somebody something through this and we were we were talking earlier just before we started here about the, the brook trout and those big long casts so whenever <laughs> i first started fishing with my buddy pat up here we went up not far from where we're sitting here and it was just about the time that i learned how to cast probably 40 feet i could probably do 40 feet really good you know <laughs> at the time or what i thought was really good is probably terrible but uh i could see motioning because it was pretty it's pretty loud up in the in the on the rivers up yeah. in the smokies isn't it
1: yeah it's hard to hear people sometimes yeah. when you're standing in rushing water
0: i could see him flailing his arms though and it looked like he was yelling at me as I was doing these 40-foot casts, and, and I couldn't tell. So he finally walked into where I could hear, you know, into view and into sight and into, into hearing range. And he was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm casting. What are you doing? Why aren't you in the water? He said, you're not going to catch anything like that. And uh, and I was like, really? You know, because I saw that on TV. Yeah. And I've been doing this almost, you know, this is probably my fourth week, and I've caught some fish. But uh, he said, that you got to get a good drift, David. You know, you gotta get a good drift. It's it's interesting because you that was one of the things that you said and it's it's presentation. And especially especially up here, you have to get really good presentation and, and that'll probably be one of the things I hope I'm sure that y'all will talk about uh in your in your upcoming event.
1: Oh yeah. Presentation's really important. You know, I always say that it applies to trout the same way it applies to people. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. You know, the same applies in fly fishing. If you smack the water and things go swimming around and skiing through there, they're not gonna eat it the fourth or fifth time it comes through. Make the first cast count.
0: If you don't, if you don't learn anything else from the next little bit of time here, <laughs> that's something that that right there is a nugget that we all should we all should take into account. You're right; you never get a second chance to make a first impression in trout, or no different. Yeah. So, Charity, your uh, your owner uh, with with Ian, uh, you, you both own R and R Fly Fishing here in Townsend. Is that right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that before we move on.
1: Okay. We are full-time fly fishing guides. We started our business in 2002. Ian wrote a book about, that was a guide to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. And we were both guiding at Blackberry Farm, a private place. Uh, When the book released and our phones started ringing off the wall, people wanting us to take them fishing. And not all of them could stay at Blackberry Farm. And we talked to our friend that we were working for there and told him. and, And he was totally cool with it. He's like, I understand not everybody that wants to fish with you can stay here go do what you need to do and uh, so R&R fly fishing was born from that we never intended our intention was not to have a guide service but um, when the book came out and so many people were calling us and just because of the book and because so many people knew Ian through the years fly fishing we decided that's what we needed to do.
0: And you're also expanding your business. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, we have a new online instructional fly fishing course that's called Rise Fly Fishing Advice from the Guides. And the idea is that we have all of these short segments that if you have started fly fishing or if you're wanting to learn or if you're wanting to teach someone else that you know, we've broken it out into little small three to five minute segments that create a course Full of multiple segments to help teach you just little tips and techniques and things about fly fishing. We've just started. It just released in December of 2018 and we're gonna really be building on it. So
0: where do do we find this?
1: Um, There's a website called riseflyfishingadvice.com. And the whole idea is that we're using our knowledge of, you know, over, we've, we've both been guiding people for more than 20 years, and we know that not everybody learns the same. And we know that there's all kinds of little bitty things that if you just knew that one little thing, it might have made a big difference in your day. And so we're trying to really apply those things and share them in a simple format, in a short format, you know, three to five minutes at a time per video. So yeah, it's all on the website. We're going to continue to grow. We're adding more this spring as we go. But um, it's just a new a new piece of um, sharing it and just helping people enjoy the sport.
0: And I can find that at riseflyfishingadvice.com. Yes. So as you started, uh, let's let's go back. Let's let's start back uh, (laughs) before you before you met Ian. I guess how did you? uh, What was probably your first influence as far as fly fishing goes, or as far as let's start with fishing? Let's start with uh, let's go back to your first fishing. Let's start there and then we'll move (laughs) forward if that's okay.
1: Okay. Um, Well, I grew up on a farm in rural Oklahoma. I was. uh, We had ponds and creeks and we always went to lakes and stuff in the summertime. My brother loved to fish. My mom loved to fish, but it wasn't something that was something we did all the time. I was the youngest of the kids of the three kids in my family. So usually if we were fishing, I was the one that was playing with tying on the weights or, you know, grabbing a turtle if there was a turtle on the bank or something like that. I wasn't really as into the fishing as much as I was just being outside. I was a Girl Scout. I loved to camp. And I remember uh, one year in Girl Scouts, we learned how to do little plaster casts of prints in Uh the mud, like animal print. And we had creeks on our property. So, oh, I got that stuff. And I'd go down to the creek as much as I could to go find prints and make little casts of Rants and stuff like that so you so really it wasn't in, as much fishing as just being outside
0: you really were into the outdoors then completely yeah okay. it was
1: my happy place good for you still is <laughs> yeah it better be right we're yeah. out there every day
0: so you moving along there you you're your I guess that, that your brother your mother your family I guess kind of got you into water understanding and being around it and that sort of thing and Mm -hmm. let's move forward then to your next influence let's let's see let's just start wherever you want to and let's just start with the next influence
1: growing up my family was always into the outdoors whether it was for play or work in the farm taking care of our responsibilities there Um, being outside was just a way of life where we were You, you always had the gear for it we were expected to be out in it no matter what the weather was. And in Oklahoma that wasn't always pleasant. <laughs> you know, Oklahoma has terrible heat in the summer and yucky winds in the winter and tornado season and all kinds of craziness. But you know, growing up on the farm, with the sheep, with the garden, swimming in ponds, all of that. I was always I was always taught to respect nature and take care of it. I guess. Right. You know, we really had to take care of things outside so that so that we did have food from our garden and so that we could take care of the animals on the farm, that kind of stuff. Um,
0: Farming is is a, that's a different way of life because you really do. You're, I mean, animals are going to be, they're expecting, they're dependent on you.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility.
0: And, and, you know, the (laughs) barns have to be kept up and fences and gates and... Gardens have yeah. to be yeah, Almost have like, to be fed. And, right. Yeah, all kinds of right. stuff. There's yeah. a lot of dependency on the farm.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't my parents' full time work. My mom oh, wow. worked in the public school system as a teacher and a principal. My dad was an electrician who eventually went to work for natural gas companies. So they both had full time jobs. You know, my mom had summers off, So we spent a lot of time gardening and canning and taking care of a lot of stuff at the farm in the summertime when she was off. But yeah, it wasn't their full-time gig. So it was even more.
0: So if you're on the farm, where was town? Where do you, where do you go to town?
1: We lived about, um, seven and a half miles from the nearest town. And that's where our school was. There was a a kindergarten through 12 school. It was in Kearney, Oklahoma, um, a little bitty town. Our school, K through 12, was probably 200 kids, so it was really little. You knew everybody in town, and and everybody knew you, and especially with my mom being a school teacher, you know.
0: Well, it's just almost impossible to do anything (sighs) wrong, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, you know, that was harder (laughs) on my brother and sister. We moved away from there when I was a freshman in high school and moved to a bigger town, which was like culture shock for me, but we were still, we were still about five miles out of town and lived on an acreage we didn't have our animals anymore we sold the farm when I was freshman in high school so things started changing then but but I still always you know we loved to go play in canoes and camp and hike and all of that as much as we could that was just what we enjoyed I feel like even though Uh, fishing wasn't a huge part of my upbringing just my love and respect for the outdoors is something that was instilled in me and will be in me till the day I die kind of thing you know and I think that it plays a huge part in my fly fishing and the teaching that I do helping people understand their surroundings and teaching them ways they can be safe in the outdoors and, and love it and respect it and take care of it. You know, I think there's a lot of things that people do that damage nature and it's just ignorance because nobody ever taught them any different. And so I, you know, sometimes I'll be talking to people about stuff we're doing or where we're going or why we're doing what we do. And, and I'll say, now if I'm telling you stuff you already know, please don't be offended. But I've learned through the years that sometimes people just don't know. And so I want to make sure that you understand why I'm telling you this.
0: <laughs> this is one thing that a lot of well, it's not always about catching fish. Well, when no. you first start it really kind of is
1: Well, yeah, it's really exciting. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's nothing yeah, that's but there's really
0: so much other stuff going on around you and, and you know, that that's happening that, that you don't see unless you're out there day. I wanna say day after day, like we're out there every single day. Today would be a horrible day to be out there. Uh, but but you're out there day after day after day and yeah. you just eventually you see things that others just don't get a chance to see. It's not that we're any smarter or anything like that. We just have a we have more opportunity. There's more opportunity we for do. us.
1: We do. And as a fly fishing guide, um, you know, I feel like I feel like I'm an ambassador for the great Smoky Mountains National Park. I feel like it's my responsibility to help people understand it and enjoy it and my hope is that whatever experience they have with me in the national park and whatever they learn that that's something that they will carry with them even if they're not fishing right it'll be something that'll help grow um, an understanding in them that they'll share with other people and maybe they'll they'll want to help protect it when things come up you know that stuff needs to be fixed or stuff needs to be protected and and they'll want to stand in and help be a part of that.
0: Yeah, um, from time to time issues will come up within the park and you do you want those people on your side when they're needed. When yeah. you need them, you want them to have some experience there. Yeah. It's a positive experience if you can yeah. give them a positive experience then and you need that help on the back end to maybe, you know, save something or, or, you know, maybe some, some work needs to yeah. be done or something like that. You, you know, if you fish with enough people and show them enough things, eventually you'll get enough that of those folks that'll want to yeah. help you. Yeah. yeah. That'll want to help the park, not necessarily us.
1: Yeah. And just protect, protect, the help keep the water clean. A few years ago. We started doing Trout in the Classroom. I I had been talking about it for a long time with our local TU chapter, and they agreed to uh, let me set up a tank at the elementary school here in Townsend. And it has been so fun. There are so many kids that grow up here and their grandparents live on the river. You know, every summer their life has been playing and fishing and swimming and stuff in the river. But when they learn that they can have a say in keeping that water clean by somebody not throwing their trash along the side of the road that's eventually going to blow in the water or not dumping the oil from changing the oil on their truck ends up in the water. Little things like that that they never knew that that was harmful Until they started learning how to take care of these trout in this tank. And they kind of, it's almost like we've seen them take ownership in the river that maybe they didn't have before. It's really cool. It's really fun.
0: We're talking about influences. Kids influence stuff like that. Uh, unbelievable. You think about if you don't wear your seatbelt, who's the first one to say something? A kid is going to say, hey, oh, yeah. put your seatbelt on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So
0: this is influence, and that's a big influence right there is having the kids understand the, the need to keep keep stuff clean you know, throw your trash in the in the yeah. trash can.
1: Well, and our drinking water comes from this river. Okay. And you'd be amazed that the, you say that in a classroom or somewhere and people's eyes get big, like, <laughs> what? Really? And you explain to them how, you know, downstream between here and Maryville, there's a big water treatment plant that right. pulls water out of the river and it provides our drinking water. Okay. It goes through a big process and they're like, oh, yeah, do you want to drink that <laughs> if you're... Yeah. Yeah. Do right. so you see somebody dump the oil from their truck in it or throw their garbage in there? No. Okay. Yeah. So that's been that's been really cool.
0: So the, and that'll that those types of lessons will last yeah. and move forward with with those time after time. I hope so. So as you're out you're in the outdoors now and you're you've moved from the <laughs> farm. Kind of let's start moving forward just a little bit.
1: Sure. I moved to Tennessee after college. Loved being in the mountains out here, my brother had moved out here while I was in college, and so I started visiting and two weeks after college graduation i was I moved to Knoxville. I was out of Oklahoma, came out here so I could be outside more, and figured that I could find a job anywhere. It didn't matter if I was in Oklahoma or Tennessee, so I came to Tennessee and um
0: well, when you're young like that, that's the time to do it, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> the world was my oyster oh, right, right exactly <laughs> so um Years passed, and I was living in Knoxville, and I got very sick. And the day I was diagnosed with a disease that women in my family didn't get till their late 40s, I lost my job the same day.
0: So here you are, 20 years old-ish?
1: I was 24.
0: 24? Yeah, I think
1: I was 24, 20. Yeah, mid to late 20s, mid-20s. Yeah, 24, 25, something like that. I had been working in advertising several years already, so... It was probably more to my late 20s. I can't even remember exactly the year. It was right about the time I met Ian, and I met Ian in February '98. So it was 1998. Um, So I'm diagnosed with this disease, and I lose my job, and I'm like, well, hmm.
0: In the same day.
1: (laughs) In the same day, all in the same day. And I was living in Townsend, but I was commuting to Knoxville for my job because my— office was on the second floor of a building in downtown Knoxville, and I could see the mountains from my office window. So I could sit at my desk, work at the computer, and still see the mountains. And I knew that was home. Right. I was living in Townsend. And even though I worked so late some nights, I didn't always make it back to Townsend. I ended up sleeping on the couch of a co-worker or something. I knew that was home, and that was kind of my release and my happy place to be.
0: So were you able Um, to get into the mountains whenever you were working in Knoxville?
1: Very little. I was working crazy long hours. Uh, My job was very demanding. Um, I I worked for a a very demanding boss (laughs) and it was just a small, it was a small agency, but it was really growing quickly and taking on big clients and, you know, anybody Everybody wanted it yesterday, and it was just, it was chaotic. And I didn't really realize how chaotic it was until I was out of it. <laughs> One of those things, you don't really realize it until you step back and you're like, oh, my gosh. That's right. insane. So when I got sick, the doctor told me that it was stress that made me have that disease now instead of in my late 40s. I didn't realize it as much at the time as I do now. And I've had so many different experiences in nature since then that have really shown me more and more how much being in the river and in the woods was so healing for me going through that. And I, I didn't realize it at the time as much as I do now.
0: So two things. One, stress can be an influencer. Stress you, will kill you. Yeah, to get you out of there. Yes. that Sometimes it's sometimes that's the right answer sometimes is it takes move on
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it was a big it was a big uh, hello down there <laughs> right and then
0: the next in- influence there would be that you were able to get out into the woods and you were yes. able to get you know into the i guess you probably came to the park if you're right here in Townsend, and you probably get, went into the park a little bit
1: yeah and, and you know the opportunities i'd had before then to get in i just loved it and it was just such a beautiful peaceful place to be and i had made friends with ian he lived down the street from where i was living but i really hadn't really had time to get to know him because I worked all the time so when I didn't have a full-time job and I was going through this treatment I had a lot of time on my hands and I knew Ian had Thursdays off from his job so I would start following along with him watching him fish and he would take me places in the park and I felt safe because I was with somebody who knew their way around and so I watched him fish for a long time before I ever asked him if I could cast a rod. So then the day that I finally cast a rod, um, I'm, a very, I'm a visual person, I'm an artist. I learn things much better by watching them than by reading about them. And so the first time I cast a rod, I just got it. I, just, I knew I had seen the mechanics of what the rod did and what he was doing with his cast to make it do what it did. And I wasn't great at it, but I understood how to make it go, right. how, to, how to cast it.
0: You've been watching it for three months now. I've been
1: watching it, yeah, for several months. Um, Yeah.
0: So you really kind of probably thought, well, I can do that.
1: Well, it was just, you know, I was, I was, I think I told you earlier, I was like a little kid every time I went into the park. (laughs) You know, especially now after I've had children, I was like, God, I had to be so annoying. (laughs) I was like a a three-year-old. What's that? What's that? What's that? You know, I remember the first time asking – um, asking him about the rhododendron because in Oklahoma, um, you know, I, I asked him, I was like, what are these? Cause they were blooming at the time. Oh yeah. Right. And I was like, what are these? They're so beautiful and they're huge and they're everywhere. And he's like, oh, that's rhododendron. I was like, no, that's, that can't be rhododendron. And he kind of looked at me and I said, "Rhododendron's like a little bush in the front yard, you know, in Oklahoma. Right. They rarely got more than knee, knee high. You know, everything's so dry." And, right. and he's like, "No, this is a wild rhododendron. They grow here in the mountains everywhere." And I, and I was just like, "Oh,
0: wow." <laughs> I would I, I felt would like think he dummy.
1: would
0: <laughs> He would know what that is. Well, he did. Well, and he
1: studied botany and zoology. So, you know, he knew, so he knows so much about every plant and every animal and, you know, he's he's got so much in him and he's a great teacher. And so, you know, when he, when he finally agreed to teach me, I joked that he had to make sure I was serious about him before he would teach (laughs) me how to fly fish, (laughs) you know? So uh, he asked me on a date and, and we ended up dating the anniversary of our first date was on our honeymoon. Oh wow! So from the time of our first date, we were married a year later, and the rest is history. History, as they say, say. Yeah. <laughs> right?
0: So the park probably has some influence on you as well. I know, it, I know, it did. It did me whenever I first started fishing. We we lived in. It's funny you said that you had an office that you could look out and see the mountains. I don't know if it's worse mm-hmm. to look out and not see the mountains, like you're far enough away from them, or to look out and see the mountains and think, "Wow, I'm right here. I probably I could run right up and, and fish." Whatever stream I wanted to, but...
1: Yeah, I think it's better to see them. It keeps that hope in there.
0: I think you're right. <laughs> it keeps
1: that hope alive. <laughs> but
0: I remember, I remember the part. The part taught me how to present a fly, although it took me probably a lot longer uh, to really get what presentation was, especially yeah. with the dry.
1: Yeah, and it's how a you, beast. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it's unless a different kind of beast. <laughs> unless you've
0: got somebody that'll take the time, and I had someone take the time with me and show me what a, what a good drift really was. I probably for... I'm not sure I could step right back in and go right back to where I was, but I think after a little bit of time I could figure oh, out I how to get a good get a good drift. But again, presentation is what it's all about. What what's the what's the probably this is kind of off the cuff. What do you what do you think is the number one thing that Ian taught you when you first were starting? What was the number one what, what's the thing that probably sticks out in your mind the most?
1: To be sneaky.
0: To be sneaky.
1: I learned a lot about until I was actually fly fishing. I didn't realize how similar it was to hunting. Right, um, you know, staying hidden, being sneaky. The fish don't want to get caught, and if they see you coming before they see your fly, move on.
0: Yeah, you don't, really don't stand a chance up, up, especially in these types of conditions.
1: No, and I guess that's that's another thing too. Here, that someone who's listening who might not have ever fished in the great smoky mountains national park it's all wild the water is really really clear like so clear that you would compare it to the water you have in a drinking glass to drink right so clear so and and our fish are very top water oriented they're always looking up we have a huge variety of bugs here a lot of people think they're small because they're starving that's not the case they have a lot of bugs and because we have such a variety of bugs it's not as often about the fly here as it is about the drift. You know, we, we sometimes if you have a fish come up and look at your fly and they don't eat it, um, you can switch your fly, get them to eat it, or maybe it was your, you know, was it your drift or was it your fly? Watch the fish for a little bit. Lots of times when I'm taking people fishing, I don't tell them, you know, right away we don't tie a fly on. They'll say, well, what are we going to fish today? It's like, let's walk down and look at the water and see what we can see. You know, are we seeing things about this big and yellow flying around? Let's put on something that's a little more yellow just to match what's going on. But other times, you can just put on a basic pattern, and if you get a good drift, they're going to eat it.
0: The one thing I had to learn was... Don't let the fly line. First one's don't let the fly line hit the water. Then it was don't let the leader hit the water. And then it was don't let the tippet hit the water. When you get into that <laughs>
1: Well it depends. Yeah. It yeah, depends was, on what kind of water you're casting in.
0: That was the toughest thing for me to learn whenever whenever Pat was trying to teach me how to get a good drift. And you're right, it doesn't it does depend on the water.
1: Yeah. And
0: I think that he liked to fish a certain kind of water, so that's where we went. Mm-hmm and that was one of his things just he's just let the fly land on the water and just make sure it doesn't get any drag
1: yeah sometimes and, i'll do that we call it high sticking and uh-huh. i'll tell people make a cast and i want you to hold that fly like you're trying to barely let it touch the water Yep, like yeah. you're just barely letting it dip its feathers in the in the water Right,
0: and when you get yeah, that,
1: sometimes you can sometimes that's a really easy way to help somebody understand the drift because the water there's so many different boulders And things here that really pull the water in multiple directions that if you lay a bunch of line out it goes all kinds of different directions and drags your fly around that's not natural
0: this isn't a river runs through it here no. There's not there wasn't there's not a river runs through it where there was a river runs through it probably either but <laughs> you know that's what we think. If you've seen the movie that's the image that you have in your mind of fly fishing is oh I'm yeah. supposed to
1: Well, and it's a beautiful image. Oh yeah. You know and they're... First
0: I got to get a funny hat and then I have to get a fly rod or a long whippy stick whatever that thing is and then <laughs> I have to I have to get out in the middle of the river. That's yeah. the, those are kind of the three things. Yeah, that if you've funny. seen the movie, and that's where you and that's where you start. If that's mm-hmm. your starting point, that's how you think it is. We all have the funny hats and all, but <laughs> not necessarily because of the movie. <laughs> Let's talk about let's talk about Ian some and okay. how his how he influenced you. So you you two met fishing at the at uh, where where did you say at Blackberry Farms?
1: No, we met in a fly shop.
0: Met in a fly we shop. We had a
1: mutual friend that was guiding for Ian. He was managing a fly shop. Oh, okay. And we had a mutual friend that uh, introduced us okay. in the fly shop. It's crazy that we met in a fly shop and this is our (laughs) life, but it is. I was really fortunate when I met Ian, was working in Knoxville, lost my job, was going through treatment for my disease and started fishing. I really am so fortunate that, you know, fishing with Ian and all of his friends that he fished with too, it was really their lifestyle. It wasn't just a job or just, you know, it it was something that they were very passionate about. Almost all of them had done it most of their lives had been fishing most of their lives, and and most of them grew up right here. So they had a real understanding for being in the mountains and and the bugs and the fish and everything else living that was out there around us while we were in the rivers. It really created a—what's the word I'm looking for? It just really created a group of people that were all like-minded when they were in the water.
0: A real community.
1: It was a real community of people, like a real family of— People that all had the same passion and respect for being in nature and being in the river and fishing.
0: Fishing is <laughs> what brings a lot of people. It's amazing the, number, the types of people that can come together it because really of be- is. because of because of fly fishing. Yeah, it really. And they is. end up being friends. And you would look, you, you step back from them, and you go, "You two just don't, you two don't fit together." But you've got a common <laughs> interest. Yeah. And it brings you together, and yeah. and the next thing you know, they're they're super tight.
1: Yeah. Well, and this may sound really silly, but even just last week, Ian and I went, we had a few hours and the weather was decent. And we're just like, let's just, it's not raining. (laughs) It's (laughs) been raining here for so long. Uh, You know, it's like, it's not raining. Let's just go on a walk. And at one point I just walked over, you know, we were walking up, up upland camp prong, walking along the river and everything was kind of dusted with snow and at one point I just walked to the water's edge and I was looking down in the water. I just, I got emotional. I got a knot in my throat. I got a little teary and I was like, gosh, we just, we're in such an amazing place. And I just felt so grateful that I could be here. You know, there's just so much to like you were talking about your friend, you know, be, be where you are and appreciate what's around you. And, um, you know, I try my best every day to take advantage of that. and, and, be grateful for being in this place and what's around me and and who's around me and sharing this with people as they come visit it's
0: really good to get a perspective of someone that's in the area lives there, guides there more so than just the fishing yeah that that again that brings us together and all that but there's just so much more from you know The coffee shop that we were at this morning where we met, I never would have stopped there because even pulling in, I couldn't find it. I mean, I knew (laughs) what we were looking for and I knew it was on the left side of the road. Yeah. But I wouldn't have stopped there. Probably I would have stopped at another one, you know, back in Maryville that (laughs) I knew was there and and I could count on being there. Uh, But that may have been one of the best cups of coffee i've had and i can't remember when it was absolutely fantastic
1: (laughs) it's a great little shop (laughs) it really
0: is so somebody that lives or or is in the area all the time Mm -hmm. can tell you you know not only where the where the great spots to fish are but you know where's the best place to overlook uh the city or where's Mm -hmm. the best place to possibly see a bear Mm-hmm. uh and we'll get to a bear story here in a minute if you've got one i know we didn't talk about that but
1: <laughs> i do I there seems to, bear, bear story there
0: seems to be a bear story from everybody and my story <laughs> is we never saw bears when we when we lived here when we moved away when we would come back here we would come we would go through kate's coves multiple times throughout a week we would come spend a week up here we would go through multiple times and never see a bear I mean, just, I know everybody gives me the same look. You didn't see
1: them on Chris when you were staying in that cabin? uh
0: Uh-uh, no, no. And I know they were there. But, you know, those sorts of things. And the best cup of coffee is here. And the best place to eat here. The best blackberry pie or or pies uh, across the street there. And, and, you know, getting to know. And if we go on vacation somewhere, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I am always trying to find a local person always
1: yeah look at the car tags in the parking lot yeah yeah (laughs)
0: try to gravitate toward those people and find out hey on friday night where do you go out to eat because that's where i'm going to want to go because i know it's going to be good
1: yeah or even better on a tuesday night where are the locals cars yeah right (laughs) yeah
0: i want to go there exactly and (laughs) and most people are like hey let's go here because it's it's right on the strip that we're wherever we are it's right on the main drag i'm like yeah i don't want to do that i want to go off the main drag yeah so so let's let's uh, let's talk about a bear story because I know you've got one. I've heard a couple of Ian's uh, which <laughs> which uh, have been interesting but yeah. but it seems like if we get into this we get into some whenever we get into one of these recordings a lot of times we get into hey tell me about the your wildlife stories that you have so
1: oh, funny okay yeah, I would say um, one of our most recent bear stories, one of our funniest ones was just from a couple of years ago. I think it was not this past fall but the one before. Ian and I had been out with the fisheries biologist in the park the day before, and uh, we, it was September. We left all of our wet gear in the back seat of his car, his truck. And the next morning, getting the kids ready for school, he was looking for his travel coffee mug. And he goes out to his truck, opens the door, smells like wet boots, getting stinky. So he rolls down his driver's side window of his Xterra, grabs his coffee mug, goes back in the house, getting kids rounded up for school, goes back outside right before time to go to get the fishing gear out of the seat So because the kids have to sit in the back seat. And he opens up the back door of the Xterra, and there's a bear sitting in the back seat eating my protein bar out of my backpack. <laughs> and Now, the only, only window that was down was the driver's window. So he's on the driver's side of the back door, and he's like, if I yell... It's coming straight this way. Right, right. So he just slammed the door and walked, came back in the house. And our house has kind of like a little bridge deck thing from the driveway to the front door. And so he steps in the door and he's like, okay, everybody, this is a first timer for us. Come here. And so we all come outside and we're looking. He's like, look at my truck. And we're looking up at the truck and, and we we're kind of looking at him like, what?
0: Come on, Dad, tell <laughs> yeah, us. <laughs>
1: what's the deal? And so it's parked where the passenger doors are, are towards the house. So it's, you know, parallel to the house. So we're looking, and then all of a sudden, we see these big bear feet appear on the other side of the car. And I looked at him, and he starts nodding his head like, "Mm mm-hmm. And I said, did that bear just climb out of your truck? And he said, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So then the bear walks to the front of the truck and turns and looks at the four of us standing on the front porch like, what? (laughs) What? So Ian claps his hands and starts yelling at it to go on, and it runs off into the woods. We go to the car. We go to the car, and the center console has been ripped open, like broken right. open. The dash is covered with slobbers. Like it had totally licked the entire dash. <laughs> Steering wheel dash. Every Like everywhere people's hands had touched, pretty much it had licked. So it was slobbery and stinky and then we opened the back door and it had chewed a hole in my 15 year old backpack
0: (laughs) my favorite backpack (laughs) my
1: little patagonia convertible (laughs) pack that connect to my fishing vest that i always carry you know i use it i carry guide lunches and jackets and waters and stuff chewed a hole in it about the size of a baseball and um he had eaten two of the protein bars the two of my peanut butter protein bars that i'd had in there oh wow But, you know, he didn't rip up the interior. He could have really done a lot of damage, and he didn't. But there was bear hair all over the seat (laughs) because he was literally sitting in the seat next to our son's booster seat, you know, in the back of the
0: car. (laughs) He had me a protein bar.
1: (sighs) So that was, yeah, that was pretty funny. That was a pretty good one.
0: That is a good bear story.
1: Yeah, it was crazy.
0: Yeah, ours was always, it was. it was always, come up here, spend, you know, we'd come back and spend a week, rent a cabin, spend a week, look for bears every day. Oh you know, gosh. after a while, it just became the running joke. Hey, you want to go run, run around Kate's Cove and not see and a bear? And scare the bears away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: want to make the bears hide? Let's and, go drive through Kate's Cove.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I was talking to some friends of mine one day, and I said, you know, we where are you going? Going to Townsend to see see, you know, spend a week. Oh, okay. You know, where are you staying and all that? And. Eventually I would get around, yeah, we're going to go see if we can see a bear. We've we've been up there. I don't know how many times I came up on a Friday when we lived in Knoxville. I would come up on Friday afternoon and, and fish, never see a bear, I mean, I don't. I can't tell you how many times I was in the park. <laughs> don't you doing wonder that. how many
1: times you fished through the stream and there was a bear sitting in the woods and just watched you go? I know, like, I know. Like guy in my river,
0: <laughs> and I would tell my friends, you know, I've been up there hundreds of times, never seen a bear. And some, one of my friends was like, "Yeah, we just rode up to the Smokies on Sunday and we were just driving down that main road between uh, Townsend and going over to Gatlinburg up by Elkmont, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a big old male bear sitting right on the side of the road, and I just, you know, yeah. you know what? I think I hate you, you know." <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's funny. finally, one yeah. fall, we, we, uh, we were up in Cades Cove and we saw a mother and three cubs Oh, right off score. the road. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. So that was, you know, after 15 years of looking, <laughs> <laughs> so
1: that's, so that's
0: our non-bear bear story. You know, uh,
1: they're so, beautiful. They're fun to see. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they are. They are. I've had, I've had some, uh, d- definite encounters of non- non-bear since we've been since we've been coming here so Ian is definitely an influence and as we were talking before he he influenced me in my rowing the first time that uh that whenever I bought the boat from y'all the first boat that I had
1: he's a great teacher he's definitely you know he got me into all this and anytime we see our friend you know our friend Tim that introduced us Tim Mason Cup and you know he'll say something about oh it's just so cool that y'all are doing all this and i'm like well it's your fault yeah. <laughs> you want to us and got this mess started <laughs>
0: uh, and i just, i just actually met tim at the coffee shop just just a little bit ago yeah. whenever we were whenever we were getting together and and you're a great teacher too i hear really good things about your guiding and your teaching and that oh, sort of thank thing i do you. i thank I, you. I listen to what other people say
1: you know hey, I, I love hear,
0: to teach it and I, I, I always hear she catches bigger fish than Ian. and that 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 is like a folklore that's that's come come true. That that uh, that he'll catch some. He catch he catches nice fish, but apparently you catch nicer fish than he does.
1: <laughs> well, not always, but yeah, we kind of joke. It's like well people people say it's like well do you want more fish or do you want bigger fish? <laughs> but that's not always true. No, he's the master for sure. I definitely he's he's. He has a sense about it um, like no one I've ever known.
0: Well, that's that's nice of you to say and humble and all, but I, I know that, that uh, you've learned a lot from him for sure. I have. and And you pass it along just like you did at the very first with your presentation. You never get a...
1: You never get a second chance to make a first impression.
0: Even on a fish. Even on a anything fish. Anything really. Well, is there anything else that you want to take a minute and talk about?
1: Talking about... Um, me going through my healing process, and something I didn't really realize through the years, I've done um, I've done a lot of volunteer work with Casting for Recovery. Um, helped bring that to Tennessee with a group of women, and learning a lot. I used to go to North Carolina to help with retreats because Tennessee didn't have a retreat, and I was invited to go help as a casting instructor and river guide there to be a part of a team there, and it serviced. North Carolina, Tennessee, South Carolina, and Georgia. So all of those states came together, you know, they pulled participants from all those states. But at the very first retreat I was at, and I, and I heard it again and again, every retreat I att- attended and was a part of, something that I noticed the first time I went that kind of made me sit back and say, yeah, that's really right. A lot of people, a lot of the women talking about going through cancer, and it's such a life-changing and life-threatening situation talk about how after going through that or as they went through that how they noticed the sunset more or a bird on a tree or the sound of water in a river or just little things that were always around them that meant more after they had been through that situation. And I think, you know, even even now in the last 5 years, there's been so many studies talking about how nature is healing. There are companies in Japan that now pay for people's nature therapy. Their health insurance covers it because they know they need it to de-stress and just and there's so much to that. And the older I get and the more people I meet, the more I understand that. You know, you you guide lots of times I say that I'm I'm a guide, but I'm also a counselor lots of times to people on the river. It's like yes. when they can be unplugged and be removed from their daily whatever, they just kinda they just kinda unload things that are on their mind or on their heart or that's been hard for them.
0: Absolutely.
1: And I usually don't know them on a personal level before I'm on the river with them. But you know the then you learn so much about them through them just telling you stuff and you know sometimes I'll go as far as saying okay now that you're done with that story go ahead and dangle your feet off this rock where you can feel the water rushing around your legs sit here for a minute and just close your eyes and listen to the water and listen to yourself breathe for a minute and I will actually stop and do that with people and then a couple years ago I heard this whole thing called forest bathing
0: (laughs) What is that? And people
1: are like, "What? You gotta take a bath in the river?" Sounds no. a little weird. No, it's it's what we do. It's okay. we take people out to let them experience nature, yeah, and be quiet in it, and feel it, and see it, and touch it. Whether it's rocks or tree bark or moss or a fish, right? You know, it's just so calming and healing that the further removed I am from the the time that I was going through my healing. The more I understand how important it was for me to be outside during that, and how healthy it is for other people to be out in it.
0: Being out in it is a blessing. It, it is. really is, yeah. and it's, that sounds all okay. Well, that's what I'm. So I'm like to say. getting a knot
1: in my throat talking about.
0: That. <laughs> I always say that we, we we do float trips. That's all I do. I don't I don't wade. My okay. my wife calls me a a boat snob, and that's probably true.
1: <laughs> well, it's um, where you live. That's where the fishing's best. That's right. Yeah.
0: But as we, so I, I float people down the river and they're, they're super relaxed. And then we stop and we get out for lunch. Mm-hmm. And it seems to slow them down just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then the afternoon, they're like super relaxed. So they took the morning to, to learn whatever it is. I think I'm trying to tell them or, or show them or whatever. And they, they're, most of the time, they're catching fish by then. Mm-hmm. And then we stop and we eat. And then we get back in the boat. And it's like they're in a whole different zone because they've actually... Stopped and, and the water's going by super slow, and they're just kind of soaking in stuff. So I, I get exactly what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: there's something very calming about the water and the trees and the birds, you know. And I don't know, I'm assuming where you guide, you probably still have phone signal. But for yeah. me, guiding in yeah. the national park, there's no phone signal. So people are forced to be completely unplugged Right. while we're in the park. That alone, I'm, I am... Because of my lifestyle that I've chosen and the way I live, it's not a big deal for me to go a few days unplugged. It's it's fine. It's normal. <laughs> but to see how people, you know, lots of times the first part of the day, they'll keep checking their phone or holding it up to see if they have sex. And I finally say to them, I'm like, you know, when we go around the bend and pass the Texaco station, when we go <laughs> back into town... You'll have signal again, but until then, there's no signal up here. You you can use that to take pictures, but you're not going to get messages or be able to check your email or anything. And once they let go of that, it's almost like you see a release come off of their shoulders almost, you know, where they're not worrying about that. And and they slow down and there's just, there's so much I could just babble on about for a long time, David.
0: (laughs) I usually take their phone away right away. I put it in the box with mine.
1: Oh, that's that's just Tell them it has to be dry.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, the last thing I want to do is try to fish somebody's phone out of the river.
1: Do you tell them to silence it when you put it in your bag?
0: They usually turn it off. Do
1: they? And I usually take. I
0: mean, I take pictures with mine if they Mm -hmm. want to take a picture or whatever. Mm And then send it to them later. But you're right. As soon as as soon as they quit turning around and looking at the box, you know, right mm-hmm. beside the rower on the rower's bench, as soon as they quit doing that, it ch-
1: I think changes. Something switches. I, something switches
0: yeah. off in their mind. And I give it back. I mean, if they if they need it, that's fine. You know, I've had, as you know, people do some. They hire a guide, and then I had one guy hire a guide, and then his buddy texting him before I could get up his hold of his phone, and we got on the water and said that some big company was buying out another company, mm. and he spent the rest of the float. Buying Honest stocks. No. He bought, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of dollars of stocks he bought, but he made a lot of money on that trip. Oh, my God. While his brother, yeah. I
1: hope he gave you a good tip.
0: His brother, <laughs> I don't remember, but his brother caught the snot out of fish. Ugh. So he was doing what he wanted to do, and the guy in the back of the boat, was Doing what he wanted to do, and everybody I was after I figured out, like, hey, he's just not gonna fish, okay, he's
1: not gonna fish, and that's his choice, yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny, you know, that's it's the the technology is beautiful because it means we can, you know, on months like this, when we're in a yeah. slow time, we can work on books and, and do, do lots podcasts, of, and do podcasts. Yeah. And technology allows us to communicate and be wherever we want to be most of the time. And uh, so that's that's the beauty of it. But I think at the same time, I think it's um, it's made us all too available. Sometimes maybe we're too easy to reach, yeah. and maybe we don't turn it off as much as we should. So I I like to try to help people do that. I think it makes a difference.
0: And if you've experienced it, experienced it in your life, which you have, yeah that it's it's easy to pass that knowledge along and say hey if you'll just let go for a minute you'll 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 get some of what i've got yeah because you've definitely got it you you understand that being out there in the i say on the river i mean being out there in nature but being on the river since this is a fishing podcast that's we will try to keep it there (laughs) yeah there's more to it than just hey i've caught this nice fish you know here's a picture of this nice fish but
1: yeah fishing's the icing on the cake
0: it really is yeah it's the common thread it is but you know the kingfisher hearing the kingfisher you know seeing the snake that i don't want to see um (laughs) You know, and seeing the bear, yeah, uh, you know, those sorts of things you don't always get a picture of, but you sure remember it. And that's sure the things that a lot of a lot of times you want to talk about.
1: Well, and so much when you're fly fishing, too, you're imitating nature. You know, when you're on a hike, you're just out in it, right. looking at it, you know, breathing it, looking at it, experiencing it, whatever. But when you're in the river where the fish live, where the bugs are, and you're throwing them something that's made out of string and feathers to convince them that that's a live critter that they need to eat <laughs> right. you know that's that's a pretty big deal and yeah. i think you see i think you see it differently when you're in the water looking up than when you're up on a trail looking down it's just a it's a different experience i wouldn't say totally different but there's a there's a lot of things that you experience differently by moving through the water right instead of out out of it and on a trail
0: and each has it pl- has its place yeah you don't have to go to the you don't have to go to the park and just fish and that's it yeah. You know, that's oh, not the only so way you can do. you can experience the park, for oh, sure. Oh,
1: no, there's so much.
0: Yeah, and it's all pretty good.
1: There's really something to be said about, you know, just breathing air that doesn't come through a heat and air vent. <laughs> right. You know, it's just different.
0: <laughs> so true. Another wise word. Right, that's a wise, two wise things that I'll probably take, okay. take back with me for sure. If nothing else, those two will be it. So we've had a pretty good we've had a great talk. Thanks. It's you. been very good. Thank uh, you. Uh from your influences in Oklahoma down to down to the park and the things that you learned from Ian and, and Ian's a good guy and like I said before, I hear nothing but good things about you you and your guiding and thank you. And that's one of the reasons why you're on here. Thank if, you. If if uh, if I wasn't hearing good things we wouldn't be probably talking and, we, <laughs> and I hope that you're I hope that you're glamping is what yeah, it sounds glamping. like. glamping. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it says. I hope that works out well, and thank, thank. it's been nice. It's been a good conversation here at the Heritage Center, thank uh, you. and hopefully the rain will be stopped by the time it's time for me to get back on the road. So this has been uh, this has been the Angler's Influence, Southeastern Fly. We've been talking to Charity Rudder, uh, one of the first R probably an R and R fly fishing here in Townsend, <laughs> Tennessee. Uh, if you're in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'd certainly think you should look them up either either's going to be fine to fish with and you're going to learn a lot from either one of them charity tries to sell herself a little short I think and she's very <laughs> humble but uh, she's a very good teacher and as you if you've listened to the whole this whole episode you it was very good at the start and you I learned some stuff and at the end she threw in a, a couple of nuggets as well that uh, <laughs> that you can definitely take take uh, take back with you so charity thanks thanks a lot for, for spending the spending the time with us thanks David. Uh, I hope to see hope to see everybody on the next episode. Thanks, everybody.